0: what's up Pe's fans? Welcome back to the Pelican debrief podcast. We gotta win now Pelican debrief is a division of fan sided the ultimate home for fans and let's face it, you are the ultimate fan or you probably wouldn't be here right now. my name's Preston Ellis. you can follow me at pelican brief Nba that's at Pelican brief NBA and you can follow. Pelican Debrief at pelicandebrief.com or on Twitter at Pelican Debrief. Now, we've got a very special guest coming up in a moment, but first, to start with our segment, what happened? Now we finally get to celebrate a win. The Pelicans are 26 and 40 after they faced another top 10 defense in the Charlotte Bobcats tonight. But you never know. The Pel's came out on top 125 to 122. Not a low scoring affair. We top 100 for the first time since the Lakers last week. Now the Pel's were led by the birthday boy AD, who put up an offensive 46 points and 21 rebounds on his 24th birthday. Marvin Williams led the Hornets with 27 points, including 20 in the first, and Kenbuck contributed 24, 12, and 8, while Batum also made himself known with 24, 8, and 6. Now, the game looked to be sewn up when the Pels took a 110, 103 lead behind an AD slam before the Hornets scored seven consecutive points in 48 seconds to tie it at 110. The Hornets had a chance to win in regulation, but Solomon Hill poked away the inbound and Walker missed the game winner. Now in OT, our fearless leader exploded with 15 points in the final eight minutes. The Pels had the game well in hand up 125-122 to 122 before Drew Holiday traveled with 1.3 seconds left. It was only his second turnover of the game. He's been averaging six since the break. But Kemba's desperation three fell by the wayside, and the Pels secured their third win in the past nine games to improve to 26-40. and 40. Now, just some uh, details for you guys. Pell shot 50% from the field, 42% from three. They assisted 33 times, up from their average of 21 since the break. They only had 10 turnovers, down from their average of 16. 60 points in the paint. And they just nearly lost the rebounding advantage, 47-50, to 50, including nine offensive boards. They had six players with 10 points or more, six. And Boogie was the lowest figure with 11. Take that, all you top-heavy pundits. Solomon had 16 on 7 and 11. Solomon Hill, I know, get out of town. He had three rebounds, one steal, and that uh, possibly game-sealing poke-away at the end of regulation. Crawford, the man with no conscience, 19 points on 6 of 9 shooting with 6 assists. Cousins with 11, 4, 5 fouls, and 6 turnovers, and he did not play the final 14 and a half minutes of this game. Holiday, 15 on 6 of 15 with 13 assists, 4 rebounds, some clutch defense, and 2 turnovers. Turnovers. Sorry about that. And Cunningham rounded out the scoring with 14 points on six of seven. I know efficient scoring from Pelicans. Who would have thought? But it's time to dispense with the pleasantries. I made you guys a promise. I promised I was bringing on an awesome guest, and I will not disappoint. It's time to phone a friend. <laughs> Now, we welcome into the fold Rick Stone, the editor of Pelican Debrief. And like Jordan Crawford, Rick Stone can smell your fear. What's up, Rick?
1: What's up? How's it
0: going? How are you feeling? We're 3-8 and eight in the boogie era.
1: Wow, this was, this was a crazy, <laughs> crazy game because it seemed like there were so many points where the Pelicans had this game and so many times where the late-game execution just of fell apart, to put it nicely, when it wasn't in Anthony Davis's hands. Drew Holiday continues to be really confused with what to do when you've got a little bit of a lead late in the game, and you just want to run down some clock and set up a good play. It doesn't seem to work out. One of the most interesting things about this game was DeMarcus Cousins. Everything about DeMarcus Cousins in this game is really confusing. How Cody Zeller outplayed him throughout the entirety of the game, I really don't know, but it happened. And how he (laughs) didn't play for the last nine minutes of regulation, didn't play any of overtime, had so many people asking so many questions. This was an odd game for Boogie. Most of the games we've seen him play, he's dominated his matchup, he's played really well, he's gotten in some foul trouble. He did have five fouls with nine minutes left. But he's still contributed. Tonight didn't seem like the same old boogie. It seemed like there was something on his mind from the beginning of the game. He was thrown off. He didn't do well on the boards. He didn't really do well scoring. And he didn't seem himself. And a lot of people are saying it's been his fault this team is 3-8 and eight lately. It's not his fault. He's put up great numbers. Tonight was probably the biggest outlier of it. And oddly enough, it comes up in a win. So there's a lot of ways you can put that. I mean, maybe the Pelicans because they've done it so much this year are more comfortable playing this Anthony Davis, small ball lineup, blatant games and just look better at it instead of just, well, they're not good without boogie cousins. It really just seemed like comfort. The Anthony Davis seemed a little bit more comfortable playing without needing to have to deal with boogie, taking up a lot of his space. Does that mean boogie should be traded? No, it just means there's a lot of adjustments to be had. And, Honestly, in my opinion, it comes down to this. Boogie Cousins does not really fit off in Gentry's system. Gentry's an up-and-down guy who wants to run a quick offense, that's running around the floor, using a lot of off-ball motion, uh, off motion, a lot of the bigs coming up and coming back down, using a lot of their stamina, and Boogie's just not in shape, not ready for that, and not really the player that fits that kind of style. And I saw a funny a funny rumor today about Monty Williams trying to get back into coaching and it's almost like, oh man, do we need to bring him back to make this work?
0: Oh man, but, plus everything he's been through lately. I don't know if I could oh I don't know if I could look him in the face without crying at this point.
1: I mean, it it's just not working with Alvin. Alvin's trying. He's doing all he can, but his style of coaching really does not fit this team. The closest big he had that was like Boogie was Amari Stoudemire, and that's a whole different player than what Boogie actually brings. He needs to be posted up. He needs to have that slower tempo that Memphis runs or even Charlotte runs. And oddly enough, Charlotte had to play New Orleans type of game by running up and down the floor. It just fit the, the point of the game. That's why we got up to 122 points. But Charlotte had to fire from deep just as much as New Orleans. And oddly enough, Charlotte made theirs. So, Mm -hmm. it was kind of a game both teams shooting better than they normally do. Both teams getting contributions from players they don't usually get that kind of contribution from. Marvin Williams, who put up 20 points in the first half, barely puts up that many points. I think he averages like 10 a game. Cody Seller, who has been an okay center, but is really just playing because Frank Kaminsky is uh, injured and not playing right now, who dominated this game in the paint, which baffles me completely with Marcus (laughs) Cousins. But... And then New Orleans on the other end, with Boogie not playing up to his par, other players really stepped up. Jordan Crawford, oddly enough, as crazy as it sounds, is the perfect player for this system because he's not going to do more than shoot the ball. And that's all New Orleans needs with these two bigs. They just need somebody out there who's like, I'm going to chuck it. Then they can grab the boards. They can space out a little bit more because somebody has to guard Jordan Crawford. And when Solomon Hill's making shots, somebody has to guard him, and that opens up the floor for the bigs. And it worked for a good portion of this game until the start of the third quarter. They had a big lead at halftime, and then all of a sudden they give up the big run. Charlotte suddenly takes a big lead, and everything's panic. (laughs) It, oddly enough, worked out. There was a lot of things that could have went wrong. There was a lot of moments that could have went even better. They could have blown out this game, and they could have been blown out. But it just so happened that both teams are kind of – they're kind of evenly matched in an odd way. They're kind of the same team, just in different conferences, and that's how the game played out. Luckily, Charlotte doesn't have Anthony Davis and New Orleans does.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that that pretty much sums it up. Uh, I, I had an interesting theory on the on the DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, I, it hasn't been floated around yet, so I'm excited to share it with you. But is it possible that DeMarcus Cousins is just an enormous Lonzo Ball fan, and he's just trying to get us those ping pong balls?
1: Oh man! I mean, some <laughs> of the stats he's putting up doesn't seem like the kind of guy who wants to lose games. I and mean, if we're looking at that, Omar Sheikh has been dying.
0: <laughs> yeah, we should just put a sheet back in.
1: Be a bud. I really want to see Omar Sheikh revive his career, but he looks—he looks—he looks like he's in rush. Yeah,
0: he looks incredibly I mean, pale. Yes. To get do back, I, I a, think. Sorry, go I ahead. just
1: really think it's system. No, you're good. I think it's just system. It, Boogie Cousins is struggling. This is a guy who played in Sacramento system, which was very slow and very methodical. And he's going on to this New Orleans team that's like, look, just run it up and try to shoot it. Yeah. Get the person the ball and shoot the ball. They don't seem to have a plan. They run these pick and rolls sometimes. They run these, like, mini set plays. But Alvin Gentry has never seemed like a coach who has these complex offenses that he likes to run that are really in-depth they seem to be very similar as each play goes which is crazy between monty williams who had all these different plays he ran out of bounds all these plays he ran with sets and drew Holiday and Anthony davis and all the other role players he got ryan anderson on the floor in so many different spots it's weird to watch alvin gentry it's just like you know i have at it we're talented we'll make it work yeah and I don't think Boogie's prepared for that. I I don't think he's yet settled into this. And this is not the year that Boogie was going to settle in. He's going to need some time to figure out, okay, who are these guys and how do I play with them? He's played with the same people for like six years. So having to play with different NBA players, he doesn't know how they play, he doesn't know their styles, has to be really confusing to him. And it's just a matter of time. The panic doesn't need to set in too much other than the fact that that pick is going to look worse and worse as it goes. And Buddy Heald actually looks pretty good in Sacramento. Sure does. Given the time and if the management can make the right decisions, it should work out okay. It's just right now is not going to be the successful time, especially when you're playing other NBA teams that have stuck together and have this plan going in night in and night out. Mm-hmm. New just doesn't have it, and you're seeing it, especially in their defense. Their defense is all confused right now.
0: Yeah, and they definitely don't have any shooting, although tonight we had a, a lot of contributions, but... I was looking at something that said uh, Hollis Thompson scored 32 points in the eight games we've had him. Tim Frazier has been averaging, uh, I think, like 2.1 points in the past nine games. Just uh, not getting a lot of help, but we did today. Uh, but back to the game for a second. I really wanted to ask you the first thing that like, caught my mind. Kemba's breakaway, uh, seven seconds left. He's storming down the court. It looks like he's going to get a layup over uh, two defenders. And Steve Clifford calls a timeout at midcourt. The refs are whistling, pulling the guys around. They're still going all at each other. Was that the right call? Or if you're Steve Clifford, do you let Kemba charge the basket?
1: Oh, man, this is a tricky one because Kemba is such a – he is a very unique player in this league because he can be so polarizing. And there's some shots he made tonight that were unbelievable. And there's times that Kemba can be Kemba, which is a little out of control, a little (laughs) whack, doing all these things you're like. He's sort of like a very upgraded Tyreek Evans in that sense for New Orleans to kind of understand. He's very good. He can score an unbelievable percentage of his shots. But there's also these times where if you're coaching Kemba Walker – you know those moments where you're like, uh-oh, he's got to rein
0: in here. <laughs> so
1: this might have been a situation where Steve Clifford just kind of overreacted and was like, uh-oh, I don't want him to do something. Let me make sure. And didn't realize how good of a position he had. Maybe he hasn't watched the Pelicans who really struggled to guard the paint in transition. Another really big problem tonight that Boogie has not translated enough to. Sacramento plays such a slow pace that he never really had to get back and guard the paint. When he missed a shot,
0: mm-hmm. this is
1: a team where he has to do that. And he is not translated enough yet to, I got to get back and defend the paint because nobody else is. So I don't think Steve Clifford knew that the Pelicans weren't going to be there. He probably anticipated they were going to collapse on him and he was going to lose the ball. Yep. So he thought, let me set up a play to get a shot instead.
0: And that I mean, backfired.
1: Yeah. It backfired because it, he probably makes that shot knowing it ju- it's just the instant replays of all the Pelicans transition defenses this year, he was making that shot.
0: Yeah. He still he got off. It up. seemed
1: like to me that he didn't know how bad the Pelicans' interior defense was in transition and just wanted to make sure he got a good shot.
0: Yeah, the Hornets had 50 points in the paint themselves tonight, so everybody was getting, getting into the painted area pretty easily. The Hornets started the second with a 14-0 run, the third with a 9-0 run, the fourth with an 8-0 run, and then in the final two minutes, they had another 7-0 run to tie the game 1,10, Why can't the Pelicans play any offense at the outset of quarters, Rick?
1: Oh, my goodness. There's, I, uh, I was actually watching Charlotte's broadcast for this game, and there was a moment where the Pelicans took a big lead. Charlotte called a timeout and then went on a big run. They're like, that's the best timeout we've ever called. <laughs> I think the world is just really bad at making transitions. I think that's Alvin Gentry's weakness as a coach, is he seems to play the same style the whole game. Have seen Greg Popovich do this in games where he sees something not working and he goes, oh, we're going to switch this. If somebody's getting double teamed, he's like, oh, well, we're going to set a screen to half court from now on. We're going to make this adjustment. New Orleans doesn't make adjustments. They haven't seemed to make an adjustment all game. They're like, oh, well, they went on a big run. Go score, Anthony Davis. <laughs> go, go do your thing. Guys, nice, go shoot. He didn't seem to have any changes for how Charlotte was playing, which in all honesty, Charlotte was just letting New Orleans shoot. Their, their strategy was to let New Orleans shoot three-pointers. They did their homework. They knew this isn't a great three-point shooting team, and they challenged New Orleans in that sense. And so we're not going to let anyone score in the paint. We're going to shut down Boogie Cousins. We're going to try to make sure Anthony Davis doesn't get in the paint. That didn't work Anthony Davis is a freakish athlete, and Jordan Crawford can shoot when everybody else made their shots.
0: And they, also... they never made an
1: adjustment in the game. They just said, okay, I guess we're shooting the ball. They This is a team that doesn't do a good job at adjusting, and I think that's more on Alvin Gentry than it is the players, because yeah, the players can make adjustments, but you're gonna listen to your coach.
0: Yeah.
1: And I've wanted to see that all season. And the biggest inkling to me of that is late game. You get in these late game situations and teams change up their play based on the situation. In this game, Charlotte very simply said, We're gonna let them shoot. We've continued to do this all game, but they've they left the corners. We saw Drew Holiday, you saw Boogie, they were attacking the, the baseline of the basket a lot on their drives. And that was good on them. It didn't seem like anything that Alvin Gentry drew up. It just seemed like something they were attacking. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: they adjusted at one point. They said, okay, we can't leave that open anymore. We're going to double on that drive. And there was a few plays late in the game where they got caught on that. And it was very confusing to me because they could see it. Alvin could see it easily, and he didn't seem to make an adjustment. Mm -hmm. And the Pelicans have been losing these late games because they can't adjust to simple changes that other teams make. And they almost lost this one for the very same reason if Steve Clifford didn't call that timeout. But I, it's it's a bother, and I'm wondering if it's going to be something that comes up in the offseason when this team is talking about what they want to do differently, what different players you get. Are they going to be able to accept that this isn't working, that you have talented players, but the strategy, the system is not proper? Or yeah. are they going to be so set in their ways, like Alvin is in his offense, and just stick with it until it, blows up in their face. It's definitely a worry. I'm trying to stay optimistic and saying changes are coming, but I don't know.
0: I'd love to put it on Alvin. Uh, I was lucky enough to be at the game uh, against the Toronto Raptors, and – it just it just felt like, well, one, um, and we don't need to talk about Boogie all night. I just want to mention one thing. Like whenever he gets fouled and the, the official doesn't blow the whistle or if he uh, misses the ball and falls down or doesn't get the rebound, you just see his energy suck the life out of the building, and it affects everybody. There's nobody talking on defense in transition. Everybody's just kind of waiting for Boogie to – to get back on D and four guys are trying to guard five it's it's anarchy out there um anyway there there wasn't a lot of talking on defense not a lot of guys calling out assignments somebody to take charge the lieutenant of the group to position everybody it was just kind of everybody for themselves trying to grab whatever shooter they could find but um one thing I did want to remark on you said the the Hornets uh were willing to let the Pelicans shoot, um, only they must not have planned for Solomon Hill uh, because he scored 16 points tonight. He's been averaging 21% since the All-Star break. And uh, I think Scott Kushner wrote that he had scored 15 points in the past five games. And uh, he scored 14 points tonight and had uh, a big stop. That 14-0 run that I mentioned earlier was stopped by Solomon Hill. Uh, he got a nice lay-in and then hit down a three. He was two of three on the night. Is this a fluke? Are we only going to get one of these every 20 games? Or was there something out there on the court that made Solomon Hill a bit more comfortable?
1: You know, it's hard to tell. This was this was a really good game for him. Um, I, I really just think he was looking for a shot more. He seemed like one of the rare players on this team that actually realized what, like, Anthony Davis realized it, I think, and he realized it. Jordan Crawford just shot. I don't think he realized it. The Solomon Hill realized they're going to give me space. They're going to give me a lot of space. So I need to be prepared to shoot tonight. And he was. He made his shots. He got good looks. And I think more so, defensively, he seemed more comfortable because Charlotte doesn't really have a lot of small forwards that are good at scoring. They run Batum at the shooting guard. So he played him occasionally, and he had some struggles against him. But every other player, he got to rest a lot. He didn't have to worry about getting driven in mind by Michael Kidd-Gilchrist or whoever it was that he was guarding for the majority of this game. So he just seemed more prepared on the offensive end. And sometimes you just got to make your shots. This is a guy that shot four shots, three shots, sometimes two shots in a game. He needs to look for his shot more. Tonight he just seemed like he was prepared when he got the ball, if he was open, to let it go. And that's it. If, if you're going to be a shooter in this league, if you're going to be a floor spacer, You have to shoot before anything else. Well, don't worry about making it. First off, you have to shoot or else you're not a floor spacer. And he shot the ball tonight seven times, which is more than we've seen him shoot before. And when you make him, you make him and you really affect this team. I I loved his defense in the last play. I love his energy, even though he struggled. So I think this energy is going to stick. It's just a matter of when does his shot start to get there? Yeah. It was one of those things where Eric Gordon's had those problems in New Orleans for so many times. Now, Solomon, Hill is not Eric Gordon by any means. But if you're a shooter, sometimes it's just a matter of you got to get comfortable. And once he gets comfortable in his role and gets comfortable in what he's doing, which is odd that it's taken him so long to actually do it, but I think there's a chance he actually becomes more consistent. Not to the level the fans are hoping for, but I think he's capable of putting up 10 at night.
0: Do you think it's, a, it's an issue with confidence? Uh, Bill, Bill Simmons used to refer to Jeff Green. He would say in the first quarter, if Jeff Green like powers down the lane and, and slams home, he knows that he's going to put forth 100% effort that night and get 20 points and six rebounds. Do you think Solomon Hill watching the ball go in, those first two threes that he hit, gave him the confidence to take more shots and take a couple more risks and be a bit more aggressive? Or do you just think that you know he shot only two more than his average tonight, they just happened to go in?
1: I think it's a it's a mix between confidence and just being open I don't think he was expecting to be this open all night and I think watching those two go in yeah it definitely affects you if you're missing your shots it everyone who's played basketball knows there's that little thing in your head like oh you're not going to make it anymore it's not here your shot's not on but tonight it seemed like he had confidence that his shot was on and that is a big thing But it is a good point to mention that there's only two more shots than he usually takes. It wasn't like he was firing away on all cylinders, but he was taking more. And just to show how important it is for someone to just shoot was Jordan Crawford. Look at how many shots he takes a game. Yeah, he makes a good majority of them. But look at how much open the floor is when Jordan Crawford hits the floor. Because there's people that have to pay attention to him. And it really affects Anthony Davis, it affects DeMarcus Cousins. If Solomon Hill can get not as confident as Jordan Crawford, not I'm Michael Jordan confident Jordan Crawford, but, like, I, I'm a starter in the NBA confident. I think he can get 10 shots a game. I can assume he make 10 to 12 points a game, and that would be drastic for this team, who's really struggling to find offensive threats. And the NBA defenses, the smart teams, are just not caring about Solomon Hill. He made his shots tonight, and that was a huge difference, probably why they won this game in a sense. But if he's not, they lose this game by a lot. So he needs to be more confident for this team to succeed.
0: Jordan Crawford uh, scored 19 points in 27 minutes on 12 shots. He didn't play an NBA game for almost three years, and in three games with the Pelicans, he's got more than 10 points in each game. Is it possible that Jordan Crawford and not Drew Holiday is the third superstar the Pelicans have been waiting for.
1: Superstar, wow. I mean, this is a guy that should have 12 shots a game. I think he is a very quality bench player.
0: Why haven't they you signed him for the remainder of the season yet?
1: Because we're so indecisive.
0: He's this still on that Pelicans. 10-day we contract. To something so quickly! My goodness, there are
1: some Henry go, which is bad him, uh, so no. I know. Uh. I really think it's just Jordan Crawford getting shots is something he loves. He's he's had one nick in the NBA ever since spending. He could score. He's very confident in scoring. He is poor man's Jamal Crawford. Funny enough, they have the same last name. But he just seems confident when he's given the looks. You know, he's taken some weird ones, some Dirk Nowitzki like fadeaways. He's taken some heat checks that make. Jason Williams in his prime looked
0: He made great. one from Chapel Damn. Hill tonight.
1: Oh, my goodness. And he's just confident. And that's something a lot of these other Pelicans players are not. And who cares if he hasn't been in the league for three years? He's confident in his shot. And it's important to have that. There's so many players on this team. I think Etuan Moore is, but Hollis Thompson surely, sure is And I'm not really sure why he's starting at this point. I mean, you really can't start Jordan Crawford. It really mixes up the bench and makes them ineffective he's done really nothing. His defense has been okay, but why not give a guy like Wayne Seldon a chance? He might have confidence. He might be able to score the basketball. Solomon Hill doesn't really have the confidence to do it, and none of the other guys on the bench, other than Dante Cunningham, when when he's in a very specific spot in the corner, is he confident? So, I just love Jordan Crawford's ability to come on the court and say, I'm going to shoot the ball, I'm going to make a bunch of them. And it's really changed this team from having no real offensive capability to well at least we got him you know if, if our bigs are struggling if our other guys aren't producing just put in jordan crawford and he'll create some space and maybe anthony davis can do something like he did tonight
0: yeah, a couple of off-season questions talking about jordan crawford with the the limited resources we have if we don't sign drew we have 14 million available if we do we have but the mid-level the biannual the trade exception do you re-sign jordan crawford this off-season and bring him back as your sixth man, and what do you offer him?
1: I offer him, yeah, it really depends on what he wants. Um, if he wants anything less than bit level, but yeah. There's so limited options in the offseason that the Pelicans can actually get. He hit, there's only one thing in my mind that's more important than Jordan Crawford in this offseason, and that's a veteran. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing I've seen from this Pelicans team is that they don't have that guy they can go to to calm the waters. It seemed like Ryan Anderson was that guy to me in the past who was, everything's going going wrong, everyone's freaking out, the media's hating us. Who calms everyone? Who keeps everyone centered? The Paul Pierce of the Los Angeles Clippers right now. The guy who keeps everyone, you know, hum-ho, we're all going to be okay, we just have to play our game, keeps everyone, you know, intact. The Pelicans don't have that guy. They don't have a guy who's been in the league for a while and who's been through this so, outside of Jordan Crawford, I think that's the most important thing for him. But, yeah, I I don't think you're going to get a player better than Jordan Crawford in the offseason for the money you have. Yeah, And I think that's really Dell Demps' mission right now, if he can save his job, is to find these guys. He can buy cheap in the offseason, sell them on this idea, and hope they can produce in some way that fits the future of this team. Yeah. But Jordan Crawford does that, you got to get him. I mean, unless he's asking for a max— <laughs> I think you
0: got to do it. It's tough. If we had re-signed Drew Holiday, which I'm not sure of, uh, he was 6 of 14 a night, uh, 13 assists, which was really nice, and only two turnovers, which was a great improvement, uh, solid performance, but you can't offer Jordan Crawford the biannual exception. I think if, if Drew Holiday was re-signed right now, I think Jordan Crawford would accept a biannual. Um, I think the most you can offer it up to is two years and $6.2 million, something about that. But another offseason question, I know this is a long shot, but it's something that's been on my mind lately. It's some of the only flexibility the Pelicans might have this offseason is trays and packaging some of our picks to get some guys. The Hornets are one of the teams that I was targeting because I'm looking for these teams that aren't contenders, who are capped out, teams like the Magic and the Trailblazers and the Nuggets who will need to shed salary or who just have a glutton of depth that they have nothing to do with. The Hornets are capped out in 2017. They've already got $109 million because of that bizarre uh, Plumlee trade, and they're going to need to shed salary. The likeliest candidates are Batum, Gilchrist, Jeremy Lamb, Marvin Williams. Are you interested in any of these guys after tonight's game?
1: Batum, I think, is too expensive, and even if he was to get on this team, it's really hard to make it work. Financially, if you get him, you really butcher anyone else other than the absolute minimum, and you're getting D-league guys at that point. Building super teams is fun, but it really is a sacrifice in some sense. So I don't think Batum is possible. Um, Marvin Williams really creates some spacing problems. As you saw tonight, he could score, but he really doesn't defend that well. Anthony Davis went ham on him. And Michael Kip Gilchrist, oh man, I love the idea of Michael Kip Gilchrist. He just can't score. And that's a problem on a team that needs shooters. I just don't think he fits the need for the team because he can't shoot. Pelicans really need shooters more than if they're going to run Anthony Davis and Boogie Cousins. They need shooters. And Michael Kidd-Gilchrist doesn't fit that. I do like the idea of Orlando. They have some players that seem like they would make a lot of sense. I read your article. Probably the guy that makes the most sense to me is Mario Hezonja. He seems like he's on the outs on that team. He can shoot the ball, and his confidence just seems completely shot down from the situation in Orlando. I think they would give him up for little, and I think he'd be willing to take a shot for little. Give him a starting gig, give him a chance to show what he can do. Sure, he's not the perfect player, but if you're going to build this young squad with a lot of shooting, with a lot of potential, that's the kind of guy you're going to go for. Is somebody who's on the outs where they are, who's desperate for another chance, looking to prove themselves. And has the capabilities to shoot the ball effectively and a lot. Mario Ojoni, as we see him from college, or I think he was an overseas player, will do that. He will shoot a lot. So the Pelicans could really benefit from somebody like that. It wouldn't cost a lot of money. And he would make sense for what they're trying to build. And as far as Drew Holiday is concerned, he has struggled. Yes. I do think it's another thing with DeMarcus Cousins is it's a weird fit between those two. Drew likes to attack the basket a lot. He likes to go mid-range. He likes to have that space straight ahead from the basket where he, like the free-throw line is staring from the basket. That's where he likes to operate. And DeMarcus takes up that space. And that's a problem because he's losing all his space he uses to facilitate the game. So if you're going to let go of Drew, it has to mean more so that he doesn't fit what we're trying to do. Which... Who do you get in the offseason that's better? Who's going to command less money? Who's going to command the same money? The problem is the Pelicans are kind of stuck with them because they don't have a better option. And I'm not really sure there's a point guard out there at that money who fits what this team's dynamic is better than
0: true. And you just have to continue restructuring this team. They built this team around Anthony Davis trying to put defenders around him who could shoot or had the potential to be shooters. Obviously, it didn't work out, and we shipped a lot of our shooters out. But now adding DeMarcus Cousins, we have to retool the roster again. Uh, with Drew Holiday, you just need a, a facilitator who wants to shoot the three-pointer rather than somebody who likes to you know, drive and kick because that space is no longer available. Oh, so it's
1: keep Brandon Jennings away from me. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you're describing. I don't want to deal with Brandon Jennings. Uh, I think Drew has the capability. He has to adjust his game. And I think he's finding it really, really hard to do that really quickly through 11 games. I think he's capable of it. He's just having some problems right now figuring out, well, what am I capable of doing as a point guard that I'm able to do with these two big guys that helps our team? And he's struggling a bit with finding out what works, what doesn't work. What do I need to be able to do with Boogie? What do I need to be able to do with AD when they're both on the floor? He's having some problems with the spacing, but I do think he's a capable player who's good enough to make it work. For a guy who New Orleans has backed so hard this past season with all his um, tough situations in life and has been one of the, the best guys for the community, I would hate to see him go. Yeah. And I think he has the capability to play up to the potential that this team wants. I don't want him to make this panic move just because he's struggling through the first 11 games. It takes a long time to figure that out. Yeah, And I think he's a good enough player to make it work. It's just, relax. This was going to be a struggle from the beginning. Making a super team in the middle of the season will do that. It will be tough. It will be hard. There's always a transition period. Look how much the Miami Heat struggled with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh when that team first came together. That was a huge struggle period. So I think Nuance needs to be okay with what's happening right now. Yes, the pick being a little bit of a scare is a problem. At the same time, it's going to be okay. To, but who they got in that pick? Was them and Buddy Heald going to be better than DeMarcus Cousins as a basketball player ever?
0: I don't know. And Probably I don't think not. there's a
1: good chance of that.
0: Fitting, it definitely would have fit Alvin Gentry's system better. So by making this trade, you're also trading away Alvin Gentry when you acquired DeMarcus Cousins, probably. Yeah, I
1: think Alvin Gentry needs to go so because he, this team just doesn't fit.
0: Him. Yeah, Darren Ehrman might even be a, a better option for this team, for this style of basketball, because the Pelicans have been playing a lot better defense since Boogie's come on board. It's just the offense that's been struggling and uh, finding their niche out there, but... Anyway, it's an option. Before I let you go, one more thing. We have hardly talked about him at all, and I'm glad because I wanted to save him uh to the end. He uh interviewed with Jen Hale at the end. He said he always loses on his birthday, dating back to college and high school, and he wanted to get the win. He scored forty-six and twenty-one. He was four of five from three. On his 24th birthday, it's one of the top 10 birthday performances ever. The third best scoring performance of his career. He had 15 points in the final eight minutes. Wouldn't have stood a chance without him. And he finished it all with a birthday wink. Sing me a song about Anthony Davis.
1: Oh, God. (laughs) I'm not a good singer, but I can tell you this. Anthony Davis looked over at the other side of the court and says, my birthday. These guys don't have a single player who can guard me. And there's these games that happen all the time with Anthony Davis where he looks over and he saw Marvin Williams and he licked his chops. He licked his chops at that matchup tonight and he took full advantage of it because Marvin Williams couldn't stop him for a dime. And it just seemed like one of those performances where at the end of the game, he looked over at Alvin Gentry he's like, screw it, I'm taking over this game. Yeah, And he did. And the Pelicans won. So good for him because he needed to do that for this team to win. I think it's scary that this is what it takes for the team to win, but by golly, it's so nice to have this kind of player on the team. It's so nice to be able to root for this kind of player every night out. It's amazing. He's unbelievable. He, I don't have any words.
0: He's only missed three games this year. It's already, uh, I think, five games from now. is going to be the most games he's played in a single season. Does Anthony Davis continue getting better?
1: Oh, absolutely. He's 24.
0: I know. they're crazy.
1: There are players getting better until they're 30, 32 it's amazing the potential of how good he can get and he's already there was comparisons to Kevin Garnett when he first came in the league and he's already he's already better doing more than that he's already better than the potential of people that the potentially put on he's already surpassed it and he's 24 he still got so many more years to improve more to add more he's still adding more to his game and it's very he's adding more post moves this year than I've seen before where he's taking the ball learning to pump inside It's amazing. He's still growing and he's still getting better. Only thing I can wish more is get some build on you, buddy. There's so much bigger potential if he actually grows more muscle, and I'm waiting for that. Maybe he never gets it. Maybe he stays the slender killer that he is inside. But that's the one thing I would give him if I could give him any advice. But how unbelievable it is to have him on this team, at least until 2020, hopefully longer.
0: Yeah, I feel like a nervous parent watching him every night. He played 45 minutes tonight. I think he played something like 48 or 49 against the Spurs. And uh, I saw that fall that he took in person against the Raptors. I saw his finger pinned against the glass against David Lee. And every single time, my heart just skips a beat. Just being able to watch this guy on the floor just feels like a privilege. And uh, how lucky we are that he's a New Orleans Pelican. It's amazing. It's anyway, amazing.
1: Who would have thought we'd get that kind of player.
0: Rick Stone, thank you so much. You're actually the first person I've interviewed, so thank you for the time. Thank you for the privilege. You guys can follow him at Rick Stone on Twitter. Uh, he can you can also follow him on Pelican Debrief at Twitter and read some of his content at PelicanDebrief.com. He's writing content every day, so you guys check him out. Rick, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. Good night, Pel's fans.